Welcome to this Uvula audio presentation of Andrea Norton's The Stars Are Ours, Volume 4, Chapter 6, Five Days, 45 Minutes. A grill of bar and metal wire was down across the entrance of the outer court. When they reached it, their captive snickered. He had snapped out of his first panic surprise, and though he was quite helpless in Kimber's hands, the voice with which he asked a question now was entirely self-possessed. How do you all propose to get past this? The pilot met that demand almost jauntily. I suppose this is equipped with a time lock. The laurel wearer did not reply to that. He had a second demand. Who are you? What if I should say a rebel? That was the wrong answer. The man's lips thinned to a single cruel line. So, his half-whisper was soft, but it promised deadly reprisals. Lostler dares this, does he? But Kimber had no time for that. He shoved the captive into Dar's ready hands before he applied a black disc to the grill's lock. There was a crackle, a shower of spinning sparks. Then Kimber struck the barrier with his shoulder and it yielded. Taking the prisoner with them, they went out into the freedom of the night. The town was in darkness, a dark broken only by a scattering of streetlights. The full moon picked out light and shadow and vivid black and white across the snow on roofs and yards. March. Kimber pushed the captain before him in the direction of the copter park. Dard trotted behind, nervously alert, not yet daring to believe they had been successful. Before they came onto the crumbling concrete of the takeoff, Kimber had instructions for the laurel wearer. We're going to take this copter, he explained, bored, as if he were discussing a dull report. And once we do that, we have no more use for you. You understand? It remains entirely up to you in what condition you'll be left behind. And you can tell Lossler from me. The words came slowly, ground out one by one between teeth set close together, that he is not going to get away with this. Only we are going to get away with it, aren't we? Now, step ahead. We are all friends, in case there is a god on duty. You shall see us off, and we will trouble you no more. But why? protested the other. What do you want here? What did we want? That is a minor problem, and you shall have all the rest of the night to solve it, if you can. Now where's that god? When the man made no answer, Kimber's hand moved up and brought a gasp of pain from the captive. Where is the god? repeated the pilot, his patience iced by frigid promise of worse things to come. Three gods, gate and patrol, came the gritted return. Excellent. Try to answer more promptly next time. You shall escort us through the gate. We are being sent by you on a special mission. Just then, Dard saw the black and white coat at the entrance. The command snapped out. Ha! Kimber obediently brought their possession of three to a stop. Speak your peace, he whispered. Pax, brother. Dard was alert, waiting for some warning to the sentry. But Kimber must have taken precautions, for the voice of the Laurel Ware sounded natural. Laurel Ware Dawson, on special business, on the company. The guard saluted. Pass, noble Dawson. 
Dard closed in on the heels of Kimber and Dawson with all the military bearing he could muster. He held a pose until they were passing along the row of idle copters. Then Kimber spoke to his fellow conspirator. There's this little matter of fuel. Climb into that baby and check the reading on the top dial in the road directly before the control stick. If it registers between 40 and 60, sing out. If it doesn't, we'll have to try the next. Dard crawled into the seat and found the light switch. Between 40 and 60, white figures danced crazily until he forced his nerves under control. 53, he called out softly. What Kimber intended to do with Dawson, Dard never learned. For that moment, the laurel waver gave a sudden heave, throwing himself down and trying to drag the pilot with him. At the same time, he shouted, and that cry must have carried not only across the field, but into the temple as well. Dard hurled himself at the door of the copter, but before he could get out, he saw an arm rise and fall in a steady blow. A second scream for help was cut off in the middle, and the pilot jumped for the machine. Dard found himself face down while the pilot scrambled over him to the controls. The copter lurched, the open door banging until Kimber was able to pull it closed. They were airborne, and not a moment too soon, as the whip crack of a shot testified. The boy pulled up on the seat, trying to see behind them. Was that another copter rising, or would they have more of a start before the pursuit would be on their tails? Well, we couldn't expect our luck to last forever, Kimber murmured. How about it, kid? They have anything up yet? Evasive action right now would be tough. There was an ominous wink of red light now in the sky. Someone's coming up. Wing lights are showing. Wing lights, huh? Well, aren't we both forgetful boys, though? Kimber's hand went out to snap down a small lever. From the corner of his eye, Dard saw their own telltale wingtip gleams disappear, but the pursuer made no move to shut off his, or else he did not care if he betrayed his position. Well, now I only have one question, the pilot continued, half to himself. Who is Lossler, and why did our dear friend back there expect trouble from him? A split within the ranks of Pax, maybe? That's what it smells like. Too bad we didn't know about this Lossler complication sooner. Would a split like that make any difference in your plans? Nah, but we could have had a lot more fun in these past few months. And playing one group against another might have paid off. Like tonight, this Lossler may take the blame for us. And no one will come nosing around the cleft for the crucial time we have left. What in the... Kimber's body strained forward. He was suddenly intent upon the dials before him. Then he reached out to rap smartly on the very indicator he had told Dard to check before. The needle behind the cracked glass remained as stationary as if it were painted across the numbers it had obscured. A line drew Kimber's brows together. Again, he struck the glass, trying to jar loose the needle, then settled back in the seat. Well, dear me. He might have been remarking on the brightness of the night. Now we do have a problem. How much fuel is there? Is that tank full? Pot full? Or near empty? I thought this was all a little too smooth. Well, now we may have to. The smooth purr of the motor caught in a cough and then picked up beat again. But Kimber shrugged resignedly. It is now not a question of may have to. That cough was a promise that we are going to walk. How about our friends behind us? Coming strong, Dard was forced to admit. Which makes the situation very jolly indeed. 
We could do with less of this blasted moonlight, though. A few clouds hanging up there would help. The engine chose that moment to cough again, and this time the pickup was delayed longer than before. Three or four drops more, maybe. Better set her down before we have to pancake. Now, where are a lot of nice dark shadows? There we go, trees. There's only one copter behind us. Are you sure? Oh, I'm sure. Dar verified that point before he answered. So we have to do it the hard way. Here we go, my lad. The copter came down a field away from the road they had followed, landing heavily in a sizable drift. On the other side of a low wall was a clump of trees, and Dar was pretty sure he sighted the outline of a house beyond. They scrambled out and jumped the wall, struggling out of the soft snow into the grove. From behind came the sound of the other copter. Those in it must have sighted the machine on the ground at once. They were heading unerringly toward it. There's a house. That way. Dard panted as Kimber plowed ahead with the determination of breaking beyond the thin screen of trees. Any chance of finding some transportation there? None of the linesmen have service cars anymore. Foley had a double-A rating and Lauder said his application for one was turned down twice. Horses, maybe. Kimber expelled a snort. Horses? He addressed the knight. Uh, me not knowing which end of the animal is which. We get away. Fast and mounted. Dard sputtered as he slipped on a piece of iced crust and fell into the spiky embrace of a bush. They, they'll probably put hounds on us. We're too near the town. Kimber's pace slowed. I'd forgotten these pleasures of civilization, he observed. They use dogs a lot in tracking. Depends on how important the tracked are. And we're probably number one on their list of public enemies now. Yet nothing like being worthy of dogs. And no meat to throw behind us. All right, let's descend upon this house and see how many horses or reasonable facsimiles of the same we can find. But when they reached the end of the grove, they stopped. Lights showed in three house windows, and they reached far enough across the snow-crusted road to reveal a copter there. Kimber laughed without any amusement. That bird by the machine is waving a rifle. Wait. Dard caught at the pilot as Kimber started out of the brush. Yes, he had been right. There was another copter coming. He felt Kimber tense in his hold. If they have any brains at all, they'll box us up. We gotta get out of here, the pilot whispered. But Dard held him fast. You're trying for the road, the boy objected. Of course. We can't get lost now, and that is our only guide back. Or do you know this country well enough to go skating off into the midst of nowhere? Tard kept his hold on the other. I'll know something, that this is the only road leading to the mountains. Yeah, but we can't take it unless... He took his hands from Kimber and pulled up the edge of the jacket he wore. The black jacket trimmed in white. With numb fingers he pulled buttons roughly, out of holes and stripped off the too large garment. He had been right. The black fabric was completely lined with the same white, which made the deep cuffs and throat fretting stand up collar. The breeches were white, too. With frantic haste, he thrust sleeves wrong side out. Kimber watched him until he caught on, and a minute later the pilot was reversing his own coat, white against white. If they kept in the ditches, if dogs weren't brought in, 
they still had a thin chance of escaping notice. They half fell, half plunged into the ditch beside the road, just as a second copter came to earth. Dard counted at least six men fanning out in a circle from it, beginning a stealthy prowl into the grove they had left. Neither of the fugitives waited any longer, but half crouched, half scurried along the dry brush which partly filled the ditch and the ragged hedges walling the field. The skin between Dard's shoulder blades crawled as he expected momentarily to feel the deadly impact of a bullet. Tonight, death was a closer companion than the pilot whose boots kicked snow into his sweating face. Sometime later, they reached the curve of a farm lane and dared to venture out into the open to skim across it. The cold pinched at them now, as warm as the uniform had seemed when they rode in the heated copter. It was little defense against the chill cut of the wind, which powdered them with scooped-off puffs of snow. Dard watched the moon anxiously. No clouds to dim that, but clouds meant storm, and they dared not be caught in the open by a storm. Kimber settled down to a lope which Dard found easy to match. How far they were from the cleft he had no way of knowing, and how long was it going to take them to get back? Did Kimber know the trail after they had to turn off the road? He himself might be able to find the path which led from the farm, but where was the farm? How far was your farm from town? About ten miles, but with all this snow... Dard's breath made a white cloud about his head. Yeah, the snow, and maybe more of it later. Look, kid, this is the important part. We don't have much time here. They have to wait until morning to trail us, and if they bring in dogs... I don't mean that. It appeared to Dard that Kimber waved away the idea of pursuit as if it didn't matter. This is what counts. The course the voice set for us. I asked before we left how long it was good for. The answer was five days and two hours. Now, I figure we have about five days and 45 minutes. We have to blast off within that time or we're going to have to try a second visit to the voice. Frankly, I think that would be hopeless. Five days, 45 minutes, Dard echoed. But even if we have luck all the way, it might take two, three days to reach the cleft. And we don't have any supplies. Let's hope Kordoff has kept things moving up there, was Kimber's only comment. Uh, waiting here isn't adding to our time. Come on. Twice through the hours which followed, they took to cover as copters went over. The machines ranged with an angry intentness in a circle, and it hardly seemed possible that the fugitives could escape notice. But maybe it was their white clothing which kept them invisible. The sun was up when Dard caught at the end of a time-eaten post projecting from the snow, swinging around to face the track it marked. Ha farm line. He bit off the words with economy as he rocked on his feet. To have made it this far so soon, the copter must have taken them a good distance from town before it failed. Are you sure this is your place? Dard nodded, wasting no breath. Huh. Kimber studied the unbroken white. Prints on that snow are going to show up as well as ink, but no help for that. I wonder. The place was burnt. No supplies to be found there. You got a better suggestion? Kimber's face was drawn and gaunt now. Foley's. But I thought... Foley's dead. He ran the place with 
three work slaves. His son was tapped as a policeman recruit a month ago. Suppose we were to smarten up and just tramp in. Say that our copter broke down in the hills and we walked in to get help. Kimber's eyes snapped alive. And that does happen to these lame brains after all. How many might be at the farm? Farley's second wife, his daughter, the work slaves. I don't think he got an overseer after his son left. And they'd be only too willing to help. Peace men in distress. But they'll know you. I've never seen Foley's wife. We didn't visit. And Lotta, well, she let me go before. It's a better chance than trying to get into the mountains from here. They tramped on in the open now. And at the end of Foley's lane, they reversed their jackets, shaking off what they could of the snow. They were still disheveled, but a copter failure would account for that. After all, Kimber pointed out as they climbed the slight rise to the ugly farmhouse. Peace men don't explain to landsmen. If we ask questions and don't volunteer much, we'll only be acting in character. It all depends on whether they've heard about the chase or not. Smoke rose from the chimney, and Dard did not miss the betraying twitch at one of the curtains in a window facing the lane. The arrival was known. Lotta. Everything depended now on Lotta. He shot a glance at Kimber. All the good humor and amusement was wiped from that dark face. This was a tough, very tough muscle boy. A typical peace man who would have no nonsense from a landsman. The door on the porch which ran the side length of the house opened before they had taken two steps along the cleaned boards. A woman waited for them, her hands tugging smooth a food-spattered apron an uneasy half-smirk spreading her lips to display a missing front tooth. Pikes, noble sirs, Pikes. Her voice was as fat and oily as her body and sounded more assured than her expression. Kimber sketched a version of the official salute and rapped out an answering, Pax, in an authority-heavy tone. This is... Grotesquely, she bobbed in an attempt to curtsy. This is the farm of Hugh Foley, noble sir. And where is this Foley? Kimber asked, as if he expected the missing landsman to spring up before him. He's dead, sir. Murdered by outlaws. I thought that is why. But come in, noble sirs, come in. She waddled back a step, leaving the entrance to the kitchen open. The rich smell of food caught at Dart's throat, until for a second he was almost nauseated. There were thick dishes on the stained table and congealed grease. A fragment of bread, a half cup of herb tea, marked the remains of a late breakfast. Without answering the woman's half-question, Kimber seated himself at the nearest chair and with an outstretched arm swept the used dishes before him. Dar dropped down opposite to the pilot, thankful for the support the hard wooden seat gave his trembling body. "'You have food, woman?' Kimber demanded. Get it. We've been walking over this forsaken country for hours. Is there a messenger here we can send into town? Our copter is down, and we have to get a repair crew. She was busy at the stove, breaking eggs, real eggs, into a greasy skillet. Food, yes, noble sirs, but we don't have a messenger since my man is dead. I only have slaves, and they're under lock and key. There's no one to send. Have you got a son? Kimber helped himself to a piece of bread. 
Her nervous smirk stretched into a smile. Yes, noble sir, I have a son, but only this month he was chosen by the house of the olive branch. He is now training for your own service, noble sir. If she expected this information to unbend her visitors and soften their manners, she was disappointed, for Kimber merely raised his eyebrows before he continued. We can't walk to town ourselves, woman. Don't you have anybody you can send? There is Lada. She went to the door and called the girl's name harshly. With Hugh gone, she's got to see to the cows, but it's a long walk to town, noble sir. Then ride. Well, how do you get there when you go, woman? Kimber slid three eggs onto his plate and pushed the still-laden platter over the dard, who, a little dazed by the sight of such a wealth of food, made haste to help himself before it vanished. There is the colt she might ride, the woman agreed reluctantly. Then let her get to it. I don't intend to sit out the whole of this day waiting for help. Sooner she goes, the better. You want me? Dard knew that voice. For a long moment he dared not look up, but that inner compulsion which made him always face danger squarely raised his eyes to meet those of the girl standing in the half-open door. His fingers curled around the handle of the fork and bent it a trifle, but Lada's stolid expression did not change, and he could only hope that his own face was blank. He want me? she repeated. The woman nodded at the two peacemen. These gentlemen, their copter broke down. They want you should take a message to town for them. Get the colt out and ride. All right. The girl tramped out and slammed the door behind her. Chapter 7 Battle at the Barrier Dard chewed mechanically on food, which now had no savor. As Kimber forked a thick slice of ham, he spoke to the pilot. Shall I give the girl instructions, sir? Kimber swallowed. Very well, but be sure she gets it straight. I don't propose to sit around here waiting for a couple of days. Let her tell the repair master they may find us at the copter. We'll go back there after we thaw out, but get her started right away. The sooner she leaves, the sooner they'll come for us. Dard went out into the farmyard. Lotta was saddling a horse. As his boots squeaked on the snow, she looked up. Where's Desi? What have you done with her? She's safe. Lotta studied his face before she nodded. That's the truth, ain't it? You really want I should go to town? Why? You ain't no peace man. No, and the more you can delay your trip in, the better. But Lotta, he had to give her some protection. If later she was suspected of aiding their escape, her fate would not be pleasant. When you get in and report at the temple, tell them you're suspicious of us. We'll be gone from here by then. With her chin, she pointed at the house. Don't you trust her, none. She ain't my ma. Foley wasn't really my pa, neither. My pa was kin, and Foley, he wanted the land pa left, so they took me in. Don't you trust her none at all. She's worse than Foley was. I'll ride slow going in, and I like do as you say when I get there. Listen here, Dard. You sure Desi's gonna be all right? 
She will be. If we can get back to her, she'll have a chance to live the way she ought to. The small eyes and the girl's pasty face were shrewd. And that's a promise. You get out of here and take her too. I'll make up a good story for him. I ain't... She suddenly smiled at him. I ain't near as dumb as I look, Dard Nordis, even if I ain't one of your kind. She scrambled awkwardly into the saddle and slapped the ends of the reins so that the horse broke into a trot. Dard went back to the house and sat down at the table with a better appetite. Kimber broke off man-sized bites of apple tart, and between them he addressed his junior. So I've been thinking... We may be able to check the bus over ourselves. Hey, you woman, he said to the unwilling hostess. Can you direct them on to us if we don't return? Dard pressured Kimber's foot with the toe of his boot in warning and received a return nudge of acknowledgement. Which way you going? she asked. Dard thought that some of her deference was gone. Was she beginning to suspect that she was not really entertaining two of the new lords of the land? North, we'll leave a trail. Have to backtrack on your own. Suppose you put us up some grub so we'll have something at noon, and then just send the repair crew along. Yes, noble sirs. But that acknowledgement was almost grudging, and she was spending a long time putting aside some pieces of cold meat and bread. Or did his jumpy nerves make him imagine that, Dard wondered. A half hour later they left the house, They kept to the lane and then to the road leading north until a grove cut off their path from any watcher. It was then that Kimber faced west. Where now? There's a trail farther on that doubles back up into the hills. It cuts across the old woods road near the tree where I met Sack. Good. I'll leave the guide duty up to you then, but let's move. That girl may make a quick trip in... She'll delay all she can. She knows. Kimber's lips shaped a soundless whistle. That'll help. If she is working for us. I told her that it meant saving Desi. Desi's the only thing she cares about. The warmth, good food, and short rest they had had at Foley's gave them heat and strength for the trail ahead. After two false starts, Dard found the woods road. Along it, there was an earlier trail breaking the snow, made by Lada, he guessed. Kimber set an easy pace, knowing the grueling miles which still lay ahead. They took a lengthy rest at the rude lean-to by the message tree. The woods were unnaturally still and the sun reflected from patches of snow, making them squint against the glare. From the message tree on, it was a matter of following the traces he himself had helped to make. Luckily, Dard congratulated himself that there had been no more snow and the broken path was easy to follow. But both were tired and slowed against their will as they slogged their way toward the heights which held the cave. There they could rest, Dard promised his aching body. They paused to eat, to breathe, and then on and on and on. Dard lost all track of time. It was a business of following in a robotic fashion those other marks in the snow. They had reached the lower slopes of the rise, which would take them to the cave when he leaned against a tree, Kimber's face stark and drawn, all the easy good humor pounded out of it by fatigue, which was in outline against a snowbank. 
It was in that moment of silence that Dard caught the distant sound, very faint, borne to them by some freak of air current, the bay of a hunting dog running a fresh and uncomplicated trail. Kemper's head jerked up. Dard ran his tongue around his dry mouth. That cave up there with its narrow entrance. He wasted no breath on explanation. Instead, he began doggedly to climb. But there was something wrong about the stone before them. Maybe his eyes, snow blindness, Dard shook his head trying to clear them. But that different look remained, so that he was partly expecting what he found when he reached the crest. Sick, shaken to the point of nausea, he stared at the closed door of the cave, closed with rocks and something else. And then he reeled, retching to the other side of the hilltop. He was scrubbing out his mouth with a handful of snow when Kimber joined him. So, now we know about Sack. Dard raised his sick eyes. The pilot's mouth was stone hard. They left him there like that as a threat, muttered Kimber. And a warning. They must have discovered that this was one of our regular posts. How could anyone do that? Listen, son. Somebody starts out with an idea, maybe in the beginning a good one. Renzi wasn't a crook. He was basically a decent man. I heard his early speeches, and I'm willing to agree that much of what he said was true. But he had no, well, no charity is the best word for it. He wanted to force his pattern for living on everybody. For their own good, of course. Because he was great and sincere in his own way, he gained a following of honest people. They were sick of war, and they were terribly shocked by the big burn. They could readily believe that science had led to evil. The free scientists were too independent. They made closed gills of their teams. There was a separation between thinking and feeling. And feeling is easier to us than thinking. So Renzi appealed to feeling. And against the aloofness of science, he won. He was joined by other fanatics and by those who want power no matter how it comes into their hands. Then again, there's always been some human beings who enjoy that sort of thing, what we just saw over there. They're lower than animals because animals don't torture their own kind for pleasure. Fanatics, power lovers, sadists, let them get a tight hold on the government. There's no room for decency. The best this world can hope for now is a break in their ranks and an inner struggle for control. Kimber's head was high. He was watching that peak which guarded the distant cleft. Now he said slowly, Frontiers of any type, physical or mental, are but a challenge to our breed. Nothing can stop the questing of man, not even man. If we will it, not only the wonders of space, but the very stars are ours. The stars are ours, echoed Dard. Who said that? An engineer by the name of Vidor Chang one of our martyrs. He helped bring the starship here, ventured out on the first fuel research. But his words remain ours. That's what we've geared our lives to, we outlaws. Doesn't matter what a man was in the past, free scientist, engineer, laborer, farmer, soldier. We're all one because we believe in freedom for the individual and the rights of man to grow and develop as far as he can. And we are daring to search for a place where we can put those beliefs into practice. The earth is denied us, so we're going to have to seek out the stars. 
Kimber started down the slope. Dard caught up to point out the ruse which he had used with Jesse and which might baffle the hounds. They found a higher ledge and made a more perilous dive, so the Dard landed on pine boughs and spilled to the earth with a jolt which drove the breath out of his lungs until Kimber pounded air back into him. To his surprise, the pilot did not keep to cover now. The night was falling fast, and they could not hold their present pace without rest. But Kimber plunged on until they came to the open space flanking the river. There, the pilot brought out the same flat disc with which he had cut their way out of the temple barrier and hurled it out into the open. A column of green fire shot from it up into the night, standing steadily for at least five minutes. In the dusk, it made a good show, turning the surrounding snow and the faces of the fugitives verdant as it burned. Now we wait. Kimber's voice held a faint shadow of old humor. The boys will be down to pick us up before Pax can connect. But waiting was not so simple when each minute meant the difference between life and death. They swallowed the last of the food and bedded down between two fallen trees at the edge of the clearing. The flame died down, but a core of green glow would continue to shine for several hours, Kimber said. A wind was rising, and its wails through the trees did not drown out the distant yapping of the hounds. Dard fingered his stun gun. Two charges for him, one for Kimber. Little enough with which to meet what panted on their trail. The trailers would be armed with rifles. Kimber stirred and then scuttled on hands and feet out from their shelter. From the night sky, a dark shape came down, a copter, but the pilot summoned Dard to meet with it. A door opened and he was shoved into the machine by his companion. Then, as they were airborne, Dard rested his head against a cushion, only half hearing the excited questions and answers of the others. When he awoke, the whole wild adventure of the past 48 hours might only have been a dream, for he was back on the same cot where he had rested before. Only now Kimber was not with him. Dard lay there, trying to separate dream from reality, and then a clang which could only have been an alarm brought him up. With clumsy hands, he pulled on the clothes lying in a heap on the floor and opened the door to peer into the corridor. Two men, pushing before them a small cart, crossed its lower end. The cart wheels caught on the edge of a doorway, and both men cursed as they worked swiftly to pry it loose. Dard padded in that direction but before he could join them, they were gone. He followed as they broke into a trot and started down a ramp leading into the heart of the mountain. This brought them to a large cave, which was a scene of complete confusion. Dard hesitated, trying to pick out of the busy throng some familiar face. There were two parties at work. One was carrying and wheeling boxes and containers out into the narrow valley where the starship was berthed, and in this group, women toiled with the men. The second party, which had been joined by the men of the cart, was wholly masculine and all armed. Hey, you! Dard realized he was being hailed by a black-bearded man with a rifle as a baton to direct the movements of the armed force. He went over there, only to have a rifle thrust into his hands and to be urged into the line with the men taking a tunnel to the right. They were bound for a defense point, he decided, but no one explained exactly what was going on. The answer came soon enough with a crackle of rifle fire. What had been the narrow th valley throat leading into the cleft proper had been choked up by a fall of tumbled rock and earth cemented by snow 
broken in places by the protruding crown or roots of a small tree. Up this dam, men were crawling, dragging after them an assortment of weapons, from ordinary rifles and stun guns to a tube and box arrangement, totally strange to Dard. He counted at least ten defenders, who were now ensconced in hollows along the rim of the barrier. Now and again one of them fired, the sound being echoed by the rock walls to twice its normal volume. Dard clambered over the slide, cautiously testing his footing until he reached the nearest of the sniper hollows. The man glanced up as a rolling clod announced his arrival. Get your fool head down, kid, he snapped. They're still trying the copter game. You'd think they'd have learned by now. Dard wormed his way along until he rubbed shoulders with the defender and could look down into the weird battlefield. He tried to piece out from the wreckage there what had been happening in the hours since he and Kimber had returned. Two burnt-out skeletons of copters were crumpled among the rocks. From one of them, thin wisps of vapor still spiraled, and there were four bodies wearing black and white Pax livery. But as far as Dard could see, there was nothing alive down there now. Yeah, they've all taken to cover, trying to think up some trick that'll get us away from here. It'll take time for them to get any big guns back into these hills, and they don't have time. Before they can shake us loose, the ship's going to blast off. The ship's going to blast off. So that was it. He was now one of the expendable rear guard, left to hold the fort while the starship went free. Dard studied the rifle he held with eyes which did not see either the metal of the barrel or the wood of the stock. Well, he told himself savagely, wasn't this just what he knew was going to happen? Ever since the moment when Kimber had admitted with his silence that all those in the cleft would not go into space. Hey! A hand joggled his elbow and snapped his attention back to the job at hand. See down there? He followed the line set by that dirty finger. Somebody moved around the wreckage of the copter furthest from the barrier. A black tube. Dard frowned as he studied its outline. The tube was being slewed around to face the barrier. That was no rifle. It was too big. It was the form of a gun he had seen before. Hey, Santee! Santee! His companion shouted. They're bringing up a burper! A man scrambled up, and Dard was shoved painfully against a tree branch as the black beard took his place. You're right, damn it. I didn't think they had any of those left. Well, we've got to stay as long as we can. I'll pass the word on to the boys. In the meantime... Try a little ricochet work. Might pick off one or two of that beauty's crew, if we're lucky. Which I'm beginning to think now we certainly ain't. He crawled out of the hollow, and Dar got thankfully back to his station. His companion patted down a ridge of dirt on which to rest the barrel of the rifle. Dar saw that he was aiming, not at the ugly black muzzle of the burper, but at the rock wall behind the gun. So that was what Santee meant by ricochet work fire at the rock wall and hope the bullets would be deflected back against the men serving the burper. Neat if it could be done. Dard lined up the sights of his own weapon to cover what he hoped was the proper point. Others had the same idea. The shots came in a ragged volley. And the trick worked, for there was a scream as a man reeled out and fell. Why don't we just use that green gas? Dard asked, remembering his own introduction to the fighting methods of the cleft dwellers. How do you think we crash those copters, kid? 
and the boys got a couple more machines the same way by the river. Only something went wrong when we triggered the blast to seal off the valley this way, and the gas gun, with a couple of very good guys, came down with it underneath. For a space, the burper did not move. Perhaps the defenders had wiped out his crew with the ricochet volley. Just as they were beginning to hope that this was so, the black muzzle, moving with the ponderous slowness of some big animal, eased back into concealment. Dar's partner watched this maneuver sourly, cooking up something else now. They must have had a guy with brains come in and run things. And if that's so, we're not going to have it so good. Yeah, his voice rose sharply. But Dar needed no warning. He too had seen that black spear rising in a lazy course straight at the barrier. Head down, kid. Head. Dar burrowed into the side of the hollow, his face scratching across the frozen dirt. He hunched shoulders and arms protecting his head. The explosion rocked the ground. I was followed by a scream and several moans. Dazed, the boy shook himself free of loose dirt and snow. To the left, there was a sizable gap in the barrier with a white patch halfway down. Not snow, but a hand buried to the wrist and the slide the explosion had ripped down. Dan, red and loft and got it. Nice big bag for packs, his fellow sniper muttered. Now, was that just a lucky shot or do they have a range? The forces of packs had the range. A second ragged tear was sliced across the rock and earth dam. And before the stones stopped rattling down, Dard was shaken out of his crouch roughly. If you ain't dead, kid, come on. Santee's passed the word to fall back to the next turn of the canyon. On the double, because we're going to blow again. And if you get caught on this side, it's your skin. Dard tumbled down the barrier behind his guide, falling once and scraping both sleeves and skin from his forearm in the process. Seconds later, eight defenders, their sides heaving, their dirty faces haunted and drawn, gathered around Santee and were waved on down the canyon. Santee himself stood counting off the seconds aloud. At ten, he plunged his hand down on the black box beside him. There was a dull rumble, less noise than the burper shots had made. Dart watched in a sort of fascinated horror as the whole opposite cliff face moved majestically outward into space before it crashed down to make a second and taller wall. The stones and earth had not ceased to roll before Santee was leading his horse up it to dig in and face the enemy. Once more, Dard lay in wait with a rifle, this time alone. The burper sounded regularly, systematically pounding down that first barrier. But save for that, there was no sign of Pax activity. How long would it be before they brought the burper gun up to this assault? Then, would the few left retreat again and blow down another section of the mountain? There was a flicker of movement down at the first barrier, and it was answered by a shot from the defense. A second later, more shots, all down the battered dam. Dar guessed what had happened. Wounded and left behind, one of the cleft dwellers was firing his last round to delay the victors. The flurry of fire was only a prelude to what they were waiting to see the black snub nose of the burper rising above the rubble.